Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence. Through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome, folks, to the LARCast. Yes, the LARCast, it's Tuesday. We've got some good news for you. We're about to get kicked up here with some hangouts in L.A. with just LARCs spread throughout this city, various get-togethers. It's called the LARC Tour. If you're unfamiliar with it, head over to LARCsite.com. Check it out. We'd love to come to your city as well. But here's the thing. We've got an episode for you that I feel like is right at the very heart of everything we're longing for in the name of living into the peace, the rest, the freedom that Jesus has promised. It's everything that we need to know and believe in helping those that we love and care about, like our spouse, our neighbors, our children, right, our coworkers, experience this rest, this freedom, this peace, this joy. And um, we're going to dive into that. So unlike the normal art cast where we have some fun bantering back and forth, which we know you enjoy, um, we're just getting right to the guts of it today. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing that I find in my own life and continue to find in the lives of people everywhere as I travel and get to hang with people. Most of the time, I find that my and those that I that I get to sit with, our faith feels as fragile as a house of cards. Our faith feels as fragile as a house of cards. And that might be a little bit of a problem seeing how when you get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, the scriptures declare that everything comes down to faith. Faith. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 2, 16. Now, on one hand, that can be one of those like rut row, you know what I mean? Because again, we we know the fragility, man, that we face and we feel. But what I'm the reason why I feel like I'm so excited about this episode, and the reason why I want to dive into this thing with you, Jameson, who's with me today, by the way. What's um, up? <laughs> is is because what we're seeing in the actual scriptures that are written here shows this this element of faith to actually be really, really good news for all of the frail people like me and you and everyone else in the world. And that seems to be opposite of what I generally think of when I talk about and hear about, right? Faith. Because um, here's the bottom line. Um, even the best of us are attracted to false gospels. Even the best of us uh, seek out things that allow us a sense of control. And when I say that, the reason, and I guess you could say the reason why I say that is right here in Galatians 2. We have Peter, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, a leader among the disciples, who became an apostle, who went on to write epistles in the scriptures that we read, is in a moment of being attracted to, right? Of pursuing, of living into a false gospel. So let me read this text for us, man. We're going to pick up where we left off. If you're new to this, feel free to check out the last episode. We're in chapter two, Galatians. I'm going to read this, Jameson, and we're going to roll, bro. You ready? Ready. Here it is. Verse 11. But when Cephas, this is referring to Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul says, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, Live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15, Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Spoiler alert, what Paul's actually saying in the Greek language that the scriptures were written in does not fully align with this very popular version of the Bible that I just read. In fact, what he actually says in the recorded text, proven through all the various checkpoints of what validates something as historical evidence, is far more scandalous and far more encouraging to all of us who struggle with the fragility of our faith than what I just read. Now, if that's got you feeling like your toes are hanging over a cliff of hypocrisy, good. Because that's that's right where we need to be in regards to what he's saying. Let me let uh, let us explain. We turn it over to you, bro. What's brewing? Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right and this is a an exercise in ultimate things. This is where we're talking about things that change everything and I think mm. the lark cast gets a bit of a reputation for for dabbling in the provocative a lot maybe only <laughs> and I'm like that's <laughs> true I think that's the whole point of the gospel is that it's an absurd truth that we are sitting in and studying and reading and teaching people all trying to let the absurdity of it be absurd Instead of trying Wait, to undo so, the mystery, trying to undo the paradox, we're we're letting it say what it says, right? Yeah, I was just thinking, like, so when you say, like, you know, being getting thrown into like the provocative camp, you you meant like, like what happened to Jesus? Thankfully, not as intense. <laughs> we aren't dead yet, <laughs> right? I'm just saying, I feel uh, yeah. like we're in good yep. company. Yeah, but uh, if, and if anything, as I've even said to people recently, uh, guys, we we haven't gone anywhere close to where Jesus went, and yet that's who we we're all telling everyone to follow. And yet you're giving us pushback over this. It's it's. Uh, do you see the the irony in this? Or but yeah, that, that's safe for another day. But I'm with you, man. That that's where we are, and that's what we're getting into right now. Because, bro, what Paul actually says here is. Like you're talking about, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to undo this phrase or make it mundane or blase, but because, you know, you hear a lot about like, man, this changes everything. This changes everything. Right. But right. this, this actually really does like, this is up in par with the parables that Jesus told. This is on par with realizing that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with a crowd that thinks behavior keeping is what gets you in and therefore goes on to create a crisis of capacity for us and showing us what that law actually demands, not to give us a plan for how to do better, but to crush all of our aspirations that we need to be better. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, this section in Galatians two is like right there with that. Yep, and it leads to ultimate moments like when Athanasius opposed the Arians to make sure that we understand who Christ is, right? And mm -hmm. to see him as completely God and completely man and the complete redeemer of mankind. And then it also led to the ultimate moment of Martin Luther posting his 95 theses up on the Catholic Church, like saying, hey, this this is not the gospel and it is not the church. And yeah. we have an awful long lineage of, you could call them pro provocative people who decided to keep the gospel, the gospel. And I think like you guys said on last week's episode, that's, that's what we're after here. And Paul is taking to task every one of us who's ever divided with other people over certain things and saying, there is one gospel. And you're, you might divide over your baptism practices. You might divide over the instruments in your musical worship. You might divide over the way that you do mission in the world. It's Jesus Christ. 
and all are in him. So therefore your division is meaningless. Um, and in fact, I think what we're going to get into here is going to show your fear of yeah. the fear that leads you to keep that dividing line between your practices. That's actually the problem. And it reveals the, the adventure of faith that's still waiting for you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Capen, one of the things that I love about some of his former writings was when he really dives into the nature of what seems to constantly go wrong in the name of church. And he says it's because the most oftentimes wherever we go, what we'll find is that the preacher is just as addicted to the religion pills as the congregation are. And what he's referring to is right, right back to the, you know, to the garden story, this, this unbelief of who God actually is, the fear and the anxiety that comes from that. And then the pursuit of a mythical control. Okay. That comes under the banner of religious rhythms and disciplines. Okay. That we do to distinguish ourselves, to make us feel or look better. But the bottom line is we do these things ultimately for acceptance. Acceptance almost becomes the God of our day. And I think that's what you see here with, with, with Peter is yes, he believes in Jesus, but in this moment, he's, he's gone astray, right? He's others have been led astray. Paul even talks about Barnabas, right? Who was grabbing onto Jesus alone equals everything. Okay. Has been led astray by this hypocrisy, but Peter's functioning is it's a functional atheism going on here. He's denying the very reality of what Jesus has brought about for all people, period, full stop end of conversation. And just tying that back to what Capon was saying is a reason why we don't, we, we, it's really hard to find that undiluted, unadulterated, right? Message of Jesus is because the, oftentimes the people who are in charge, the, the leaders that we're looking to are just as desperate for acceptance, approval, you could say, the status that comes with being liked they're just as desperate for that as all the people they're seeking to lead. And so here's Peter engaging the Gentiles, but once the circumcision party comes up and threatens his sense of status, his sense of security, he moves like he almost grabs onto a false identity about who he is and pulls back from them. It's like a middle school lunchroom scene when you're hanging out with that neighbor, right? who's been your neighbor since kindergarten and you've always been buddies, but he's just not that cool. And now you're in seventh grade, right? And you're starting to click with the guys, you know what I mean? On the wrestling team or whatever. Yep. And then, and so you're hanging out with your neighbor that you've known from kindergarten at the lunchroom table, but then they walk in the room and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, man, I got to dip. And before long, you're like ignoring this buddy out of this fear of acceptance. We laugh about that in the middle school lunchroom, but bro, it's just, it's everywhere. That's the it's everywhere. That's the story of humanity and it's so funny because it's coming you see it at play in the people who seem to be so confident, so courageous, right? The catalyst for change in the world. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're the most insecure in the room. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's just so sad, man. So sad and that's that's what you're seeing here, right? With Peter. Yep. That's the bottom line. Yep. Imagine Abraham and Moses getting in a fight. <laughs> like half of the book of Acts is devoted to the story of Peter and half of the book of Acts is devoted to the story of Paul. You got your two biggest wigs right here, allegedly meeting for the first time, right? I mean, that's kind of the picture we get is that Paul's never gone to Jerusalem to sit down with these guys before, yet his 18-year ministry is legit and doesn't really need anybody's proof, doesn't need anybody's approval. He shows up and sits down just like one of the apostles mm. and and calls Peter out, right? It just doesn't get any more tense than that. You could make a great movie out of this. So it'd be a, you've it'd got, be a good one. Yeah, you've got Paul saying words that I, I feel like these are this whole section we read, just 11 through 14, unexpected. They're words you just easily glance and read right over. When I saw that they were not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, 
So this is a bit of a plot twist for me, Russ, because so much of what we've talked about in Lark is, yeah, the gospel's not about how you act. <laughs> it's not about the things that you do. It's not about justifying your place in God's eyes or in his kingdom or anything like that. And that's completely true. But you see Paul showing us here where that finally meets, where that rubber meets the road. He's showing us where yep. behavior does indicate something that you need to pay attention to. And where that is, is when your behavior completely contradicts what you're saying the gospel means. And Peter, right. on paper with Paul, they're in the same boat. They say the same things. They write it down the same way. But when Peter <clears throat> starts treating Jews differently or treating Gentiles differently because of the mm -hmm. presence of Jews. Now you have this, wait, you're, you're basically obliterating what you said you believe about the gospel and how you're behaving toward humans. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't sound like an issue going on in our world today, I don't know what does we've, we've got all kinds of different factions and divisions and the reason we care so much about it and the reason i want to i will never stop talking about it is is precisely because we we divide people from good news in the name of sharing good news and here's why cuz we're we're obsessed with methodologies we're obsessed with doctrinal statements we're obsessed with a whole bunch of things jesus never said and that's kind of like what's happening right here Instead of the mm -hmm. methodologies, the ways that you get good news out, the ways that you do church, what we're trying to say is there is a message at the core that truly has already changed everything and therefore can change everything in you about how you approach the world and live in the world and see yourself. When you let that good news be good there, when you let that message be what it is in an unadulterated form, in an unmodified right. way, Bro, it's going to change your life. You've never understood the peace that surpasses understanding. None of us have. And that's because we've never let the gospel be as absurd as it really is. So if you, I think people can be a little bit bristled sometimes under the, the tenacity of Lark and our willingness to, to really get into some of these conversations and debates. And I think that's really good because there is one message at the heart of the gospel that truly changed everything. And that's what we're after. We are going to contend for that until our dying breath and let everything flow from it. And that's harder than it sounds. It really is. It's, it's far too easy for people to take the words of Jesus and turn them into another book or methodology or cool thing that you're going to go and do together, not realizing the behavior you exhibit is actually undoing the message that you initially proclaimed. And let's be clear. Paul's not saying Peter is condemned in the sense of going to hell or being no longer justified in the sight of God. Right. Paul's saying the issue at hand, it, you don't, there's no argument. Like Peter is off his rocker on this one. And there it is. We're back yeah. to the tension. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, and he's, He's not saying you need behavior to prove that you're a believer. You need behavior, better behavior to be a believer. You, right. you know, it, that, and that's, I think, where the gospel gets undone. It's where it gets nullified. What Paul's showing us here is he's pointing to behavior that, as you said, and I love that, it's not only untrue in accordance to the gospel, but it undoes the very message that you're proclaiming. What you're doing here has led people astray. This hypocrisy, right, has led people astray from the only news, the only good, the only permanent good news in the world. And you're right, man, it's just about that condemnation. You know, one of the things that Michelle brought up, which I thought was pretty cool just in looking at this is he says, we all love the verse in John 3 where Jesus declares that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. What we forget is the very next verse where Jesus explains that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Are you ready for this? 
because the world already stands condemned. <laughs> you know, it's like the world just right. Like it's in reference to that spirit of self-reliance that runs in our veins. You know what I mean? That spirit of self-reliance that runs in our veins has already and always has been right. Condemned. It's a, it's a dangerous thing. It dismantles lives. Yeah. It dismantles entire societies. The good news is, you know, which I think is where Paul gets to with Peter is like, Hey man, what you're running in here, it's not true. Okay. And he makes the case for that. He makes the case for that. What you're running in here is not true. If we ourselves, as in you and I, right? Paul says, you and I, Peter, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know from the scriptures, okay, that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, man. What are you, what are you doing here? You're, you're not alive in union, walking with joy and peace and rest and freedom because of anything that you've done? And neither is anyone else. This doesn't happen through what we do. It happens through what Jesus did. It, I mean, it's it's simple, man, when you think about it. Yep. There's, there's a willingness to accept the absurdity of the gospel at the beginning, right? Like, we're like, yeah, I'm saved by grace. But then from that moment on, even if that was where you landed... Mm, Most of true. the time you wind up after the fact, making sure that you keep grace. Friends, you cannot keep grace because <laughs> you're in it. You are in right. grace. You exist by grace. You are redeemed and reconciled by grace. Your yeah. entire life is a complete submersion in the grace of God because God is love. That is life-altering news. Exactly. Yeah. It's the essence of what makes reality real, what makes reality what it is. But there's a group of people anywhere you go, no matter what religion or part of the world, who's going to insist that there's a holy way of living where you keep yourself in the right category. Right. And that is always going to end up at some point or another, if not right off the bat, undermining the proclamation of the gospel, the kerygma, the thing that Paul said, mm. this is all that there is. The declaration, the announcement of the Jesus Christ who became incarnate, he became flesh, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose again and ascended into heaven as a human. <laughs> he is yep. sitting as you and with you in him in the presence of the father. And here's, here's the thing. You can't do enough of something to make what's true in Jesus any more true than it is. You don't even have to. So the idea that, and the pushback that's often here, and I think that's throughout the book of Galatians is, yeah, but aren't people just going to go crazy and do all the stupid things now because you just told them that it doesn't matter. I'm like, I actually have never seen that happen. But here's the thing. In the words of Robert Capon, <laughs> yeah. giving the human race religious reasons for not sinning is about as useful as reading lectures to an elephant in rut. Yeah, it's the, it's yeah. one yes, of it's... the best illustrations ever written. <laughs> um, and some people it's are like, true. well, you know, might not be not very attuned to the ways of animals they they didn't grow up on or near farms or they've never been involved in hunting and so rut you know like you know what is that well it's the season by which animals right <laughs> mate it's where yeah. they reproduce instinctively and, yes and with an intensity thing... you can't make up <laughs> and you can't undo and you can't bridle so you're talking about the largest animal, the biggest force, right? And you know, walking land, and it's just so great. It's it's as yeah, it's as useless as 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 giving a lecture to an elephant in rut. Yeah. P 
people have always been free to do whatever they want to do. I think that's something that we forget. People have always been free to do whatever they want to do. So hearing that God, that God is upholding the law, he's not diminishing it, but just has chosen to fulfill it in his son and to declare us righteous in his son, this act of grace, that's not undoing that reality by any stretch of the imagination. It's also not God saying, yeah, you should go do really dumb things that bring harm to you and, and hurt to others. Like, no, the scriptures are full of the Lord teaching us what is good and beautiful, right? Where wisdom's found and walking in certain things that lead to our harmony, both, both personally, but also with our fellow, right? Fellow man. The, I think the confusion in the religious world is we drag that into the equation of how our union with God comes about. That's that's the confusion. That's the undoing of the gospel, the nullifying of the gospel that Paul is so adamantly um, rebuking in this book. Stop dragging behavior of any kind. Stop dragging religion. Stop dragging your rhythms and disciplines. Stop dragging your ethics, right? Your individual morality into the union that has been brought about by Jesus Christ with his creation. Those things are good. They're beautiful when they're placed in their right buckets. But they are not the gospel. They are not Christianity. The New Testament is not about behavior change. The New Testament is about forgiveness. Forgiveness of sinners so they can see what God's like and begin to live and walk in that joyful reality. And everything else flows from there. Now, here's where it gets tricky, though, because I'm just going to go ahead and say this. We live in a time, dude. Let me back that up. We've always lived in a time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Good. Yeah, man. right. It, you have to, man. You got to just start saying it this way. It's the yeah. same thing I try to do in the conversation. It was like, uh, well, you know, the problem with the American church. And I'm like, bro. Come on. <laughs> it's just people, the church universal. All right. It's, it's not just an American thing. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, humans want control bottom line. So we, uh, I think what, what gets hard here and what I've, what I've found throughout time is like, it's in seeing what Paul's saying here. And in the next couple of verses about being justified by faith that the camp split. And it seems like there's a should camp and a shame camp. I've talked about this before. I'll make it really quick. The should camp is that religious culture within the church, you know, by and large, that's just constantly coming up with the three steps of this, the five to that, the seven practices, the 30 missional habits, you know what I mean? The, the seven disciplines, you know what I mean? All these things that we come up with in the name of what we should be and who we should be becoming in the name of Jesus and how to get there. All right. And what will what's often in that camp is, yeah, faith is what you believe that brought you in, but it's the doing that keeps you in and makes you become something. And here's here's the kicker and justifies. It's the doing that justifies your faith. It's the proving that you actually believe. And so we have popular Christian leaders today who talk a lot about, yeah, there's lots of Christians in the world, but there's only a few disciples of Jesus. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, dude, stop, stop. It's <laughs> such nonsense. Stop. You're, you're, you don't have to think this way. You don't have to believe that nonsense. And so you have the should camp that gets thrown into this faith that needs to look like fill in the blank that results in you becoming fill in the blank and then us together achieving fill in the blank. Okay. That's the should camp. Think of it like one thief on one side of the, of Jesus. And then on the other side of Jesus is another thief. And <laughs> Jesus gets crucified between these two ongoing thieves of shoulds and shame. On the other hand is the shame camp. It's that every week we need to be taught the law. We need to be brought to the end of our virtuous ropes. We need to feel like the scum that we are but there's grace, the grace of God that's available to us if we have faith. And it's our faith 
that justifies us. It's our faith, you know? So then in that, in that shame camp, it's every week hearing about your brokenness, but there's grace. Let's have faith. Right. And it's just over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, I was recently talking with somebody who was like unpacking their brokenness and they could talk about, they could be so open and honest about it because, you know, none of these things keep me from God. And, and I've been set free to talk about these things. And, and then there was almost like this smirk of like, yeah, man, but thank God for, thank God for faith. Cause man, I might've flunked in my works, but, but bro, luckily, luckily I've got faith that justifies me. And I'm listening to that and I'm going, Hey, the reason why I said a minute ago that this is, these are the two thieves that the gospel is constantly crucified between is because both of them are ultimately self-justifying. They're both saying faith, but they're both completely centered on self-justifying, okay, avenues. The justifying of ourselves through our faith, whether it's in pursuing the shoulds or if it's feeling the shame but rejoicing in grace. And I think that's kind of where Paul's moving everyone in this chapter. He's showing the ridiculousness of Peter's behavior and the danger of the hypocrisy, but then he moves the conversation to faith and how it's faith alone that we're justified. Yes, in our flesh, yes, our self-reliant nature is condemned because it's death. But Jesus doesn't come to condemn. He actually comes to save, to set us free, and this he did. That's kind of what Paul's getting at, right? But what I've noticed is people will read this text and go, well, man, that's the case which is kind of how I began the podcast, then we really need to focus on our faith, man, and get it right. Mm -hmm. Which is actually the opposite of what Paul's saying here. And bro, you that's that's why I said I could almost throw this text into like that top three ahas for me in my 24 years of being, a, 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 being alive to reality. <laughs> Yep. Jesus. I think that when you've spent your whole life saturated in the way of the law and you discover the grace of God, what you call faith, at least initially, but for a lot of people for their whole lives, <clears throat> what you call faith, you actually use all of your law vernacular to explain it and understand it, which yes. means you are treating faith like works. You are treating faith like law. You might use yep. the word faith, but I'm not actually convinced that you've you've let yourself get opened up all the way by it. And here's the kicker. Yeah. Unconditional. As, as unnerving as that word makes you, or unnerved, like you have to reckon with it. <laughs> Because the minute yep. you take away unconditional in any way, shape, or form from the gospel, you undo the gospel. You cannot treat faith like works. It is not a work. You cannot treat faith like law. It didn't follow the law. It preceded it. So it is not going to get framed by the law. You don't use the same language to explain it or understand it or pass it on. It is not in a new law. Faith is just the simple, in Capon's words again, dumb trust in who Jesus is and who you are in Jesus, right? I think that there's there's some conversation yeah. for us here in, in, as well on the word justification. And the word justification is a huge word in the scriptures. It's especially huge since the the Enlightenment and the Reformation and sometimes it's gotten too big. It's gotten to become almost an end in, a, in itself in a way that eclipses or at least doesn't let enough of the light through of the incarnation. The incarnation was is the context in which you find justification, not the other way around. And what I mean and is by that. Go ahead. Who Jesus is as right. the word who became flesh to live in us. Right. So incarnation, That's, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's yep. seen through that lens. Justification of is the inside one who's of that. Among us. Yes. Yep. Justification is a boat floating <laughs> inside the ocean of the incarnation. 
it's yeah, not it's unimportant. It's not something outside that he does. It's who he is and what he does in and through us. Yes. Meaning what became of Jesus becomes of us. We are yes. implicated in everything that happens to Jesus and that Jesus and who Jesus is. We are a part of that. When he died, we died. Second Corinthians five. And Paul is very clear that those who die in Christ rise in Christ. This is, yeah. this is unconditional, not because of anything anyone ever does. It's just because that's how reality works. When the one in whom all reality was created, finds its existence is sustained is therefore also then reconciled. Well, then it's reconciled. Yeah. Problem. Then that then, becomes who we are. Yep. Justification then is not actually something hanging in the balance, but something that's completed. So the justification that Paul's talking about here in Galatians, I'll read this quote because I think this is really helpful. This is by a guy named Thomas Erskine. He says, and this is a suggestion. I'm just trying to have this for, put this in here for conversation. He said, it appears to me quite clear that justification is described by St. Paul as a state of mind proceeding from or arising out of faith. Whereas if justification be a judicial act of God, then that act originates in and from man's faith and is the reward of faith. But nothing but a true sense of the absolute unconditional gratuitousness of the gospel can write the law of God on the heart of man. And yet this doctrine of gratuitousness is opposed as if it were antinomian. <laughs> Self, in like fact, yeah. is the great antinomian because it is the great antichrist where self acts and tries to establish a claim on the forgiveness of sin, either by faith or by works. It incapacitates us for spiritual obedience by cutting us off from the true source of spiritual life. So he's suggesting justification isn't just a gavel dropping in a courtroom declaring and what's the word I'm looking for? A decree or a right, a verdict. A verdict. Thank you. Good Lord. Yep. Right. It's not just that. It I think it's not less than that, but it's more. It's, it's not just that. That's the key. Yeah. It's it's even bigger and better. It's the the life of the person who has faith experiencing the freedom of that verdict in their life. That's that conscience sprinkled clean, Hebrews says. Who of us are are walking around and that's how we would define our life? We're like, yeah, totally. I got a conscience totally sprinkled clean. Yeah. Why I live not? In just perpetual peace. Why not? Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what we were kicking off with this whole episode about and just referencing, like, if that's your heart, if that's your longing, because that is your need. I hope that's your longing. Um, and when I say your, I'm, it, as hopefully everyone understands, I'm talking about your, our, we, you, me, all of us. <laughs> you know, like this is. Yeah. And I love that what you're saying is like justification constantly gets lumped into just the courtroom setting of Jesus justifying sinners through his life, death, resurrection for our life, death, right? Resurrection. And what I love about that understanding is like, yes, that is true, but this is not just something that we think about now and then or point to from 2000 years ago. We're talking about the God who became flesh and has come and dwelt among us and is among us. The one in whom we live and now lives in us, Colossians 3. Acts 17, the one that we live and move and find our very being. So it's not just we were justified by Jesus, courtroom setting 2,000 years ago. It's also the experiencing of this reality of God with us, Emmanuel, incarnation. Yep. Today, right now, I and him, him and me, this is my peace. Yes. He is my salvation, meaning my very life. Yes. Amen. And so I just want to go ahead and say this. To me, it's it's the understanding that then moves into the very end of what we read in verse 16. And we can kind of just pull this, this episode together here on this nugget, because 
man, I just, I can't, I can't get over this chapter uh, in Galatians. What we see here, okay, is it's in understanding what you're unpacking and understanding what Paul's meaning here when he talks about faith in Jesus who justifies, okay? It's it's in the seeing of this, the believing of this, the grabbing a hold of this, that we can move beyond the constant tyranny, okay? The constant tyranny that comes with thinking that, that getting our faith hot and keeping it hot is what justifies us. Because it's in that moment we become God. We become the self-justifier. Yep. We become obsessed with our faith in doing everything under the sun to get it right and keep it right. You become your own mediator. Yeah, which means it's no longer faith. What you're pursuing and practicing in the name of faith isn't faith. Right. Hear that. It's not faith, which means... It makes complete sense why there's no peace, why there's no perpetual rest, why there's no endless joy and excitement in the freedom that we have. It's because, yeah, you might have moved on from trying to justify yourself through works, but now you're spending your life trying to justify yourself through your faith. And it's because of how we read this. But what's crazy is it's not what Paul's actually saying. Christ Jesus, in verse 16, Christ Jesus is the subject of the word faith. He's not the object. In the original Greek language that we can find that Paul is using here, it's a subjective genitive. At the top and at the bottom of verse 16, Paul's referring not to our faith in Jesus Christ, but to the faithfulness of Christ Jesus on our behalf. Bro, that, that literally changes everything. It changes everything. The King James Bible actually gets it right when you study this in the text. This is how it actually reads, according to the Greek. We who are Jews by nature, Paul says, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of of Jesus Christ. Faith of what does he say? Jesus Christ. Yep. And that's yes. most of our Bibles or some, Do ma- not many of that. our Bibles say faith in Jesus Christ, making it ours essentially. Yeah. Right. Making us, it, it completely flips the entire narrative. Hence why we constantly seem to crucify the gospel between our shame and should camps. Why what we're calling faith is really just self-justifying works that we're labeling faith. And then living in the perpetual fear and anxiety and exhaustion that comes with this misunderstanding. This is what he says. He literally tells him, we are justified, not, okay, not by the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, all of our doing, behavior, keeping, modifying, blah, 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 shall no flesh be justified. Dude, talk about just like what? So what does our faith do? What does my faith do? Our faith allows us to grab hold of Christ's faithfulness on our behalf. It's him that we live and stand and it's him that we live and move and have our being. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I and you and me, right, who live. But the life we now live, we live in him. Colossians 3 says we've been hidden in him. So we stand justified because of his faith. Because only his faith is perfect. We, that, that's, I'm just like, like I can explode right now in excitement and, and just like the earnesty of like, please hear this. Our faith is what allows us to enjoy the reality of our union with God because of Jesus's faithfulness for us. We're not justified because of how hot we got our faith. We've been justified because of Jesus's faith. It's my faith in him that lets me live and move and enjoy 
the party. Yep. Your faith is not a button that turns on the machine of the gospel. Your faith is not something that causes the gospel to be true or that activates it or that is the final uh, domino at the end of the long line of good things that need to happen. No, your faith is nothing. (laughs) It's, I mean, faith and hope, like these are so passive in in so many ways when you look at how the words show up in our New Testament. And so like, here's a couple more things to just, to put, make this even more practical. John Stott in his commentary asks this question in this section of this Galatians text. What is this ecclesiastical exclusiveness, which we practice and which God does not? Mm. <laughs> you can, you can run with that one. And he goes on as to say, in church, ecclesiastical is in church. Yes. All the divisional camps that we have that we practice. Yeah. God doesn't. Keep going. And then he says, am I to regard a justified fellow believer as unclean that I will not eat with him or her? We need to hear again the heavenly voice, Acts 10, 15. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Hmm. Bro, it don't get any, I mean, it just, it doesn't get any clearer, plainer, yeah. simpler than that. Yep. And we it's don't just believe such a beautiful invite to me and you and everyone else. We don't believe in good works. We believe in Jesus. <laughs> yes. Yes. And as Jesus lives and moves in and through us, he bears the spirit, right? Him that bears the fruit of his existence in and through us. Yes. And amen for that. We're all for walking in and carrying out and living into all the beautiful things of God. Yeah. We're just realizing that they're only good and beautiful when they're of him. And they're always and never good. When it's that fearful, anxious, right, religious nature in us that's trying to produce them. Yeah, if you have to compel somebody, right, that word compel shows up several times in this book. It's actually force. (laughs) When you have to force people to do certain things to prove their faith, the book of Galatians is saying that's not faith. And I'm... I'm convinced also, if you have to teach evangelism, then the message you're giving people isn't good enough. If you have have to teach people how to live and do good works, then the message is not right. You haven't tinkered enough with the message. The message can be trusted. Tools and tips for how to love your neighbor. It's it's not not love. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's, a... Like, I think this is what Paul's getting at is when, when the message is good and true, when it's unadulterated, okay, it, man, it, you experience a freedom that you can't, you can't shake. You can't get over a joy, a peace. I mean, just something blooms up inside of us. Right. Yep. And it's streams of living water. Yeah. (laughs) No need to quote the scriptures here, but no. Like this, this is the life that we've been brought into the very life of Jesus moving and living in and through us. And man, it's so beautiful. But I think what Paul's getting at here is the key is it's, it's letting what he just said be true. Mm -hmm. Peter, you, the people around you, these Gentiles, none of us were justified or can be justified by the works of our law. So all these divisional camps of who's in and who's out because of I'm this and you're that, it's all just it's all just BS. That's all nonsense. What is true is that we stand justified, holy, righteous, living right now, moving right now in union with God because of Jesus's faith. Not our works. In fact, not even our faith. That is good news for the world. Yep. Close on a fun fact. You want to close on a fun fact? Let's do it. So in Galatians, Paul calls Peter Kephas. Yeah. Which is to emphasize the meaning of his name rather than the familiar sound of Peter. 
So that's the the Greek for rock, right? He got called the rock by Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said that the revelation of mankind's true identity and origin is the rock foundation of the ecclesia of the church. Paul's like even using Peter's name in a certain way to make his point in this book. He's like, <laughs> don't forget, don't forget the the foundation of everything. The declaration you Peter, that are you made in Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, yes. and you said it yourself. <laughs> Just right. man, I love that. Let me that bring can, you back to this. That's a a note that I found in uh I'm going to mess up his name, Francois Dutois, Dutois his mirror study Bible uh, brought that out. Yeah. Cause it, when you just read it's it in your one. English Bible, it just says Peter and we're all like it. That's just a name. Well, in Greek, the names are like, they mean they're words that they have mean meaning. Something. So yeah, man. Well, that is a beautiful fun fact because it brings you back to the beauty of our reality, which is life union in God. You, Jesus are the savior. You are Lord. You are alive. And so, in a sense, Paul, as you move through that text, is just bringing Peter back to that that reality that he perceived and declared. Yeah. Man, amen. Amen to this episode. Amen to Jesus's faith for our faith, because ours just isn't so hot. <laughs> and so just remember, if someone says, well, what do we do? Well, we place our faith, right? Our faith in Jesus so that we can enjoy the reality that we've been justified and made one with him because of his faith. Yep. That's good. A life of just letting, getting used to your justification. Fair day. Yeah, man. Till next time. Peace. Cheers. Cheers.